0: So as most of you know, we're studying through the Gospels. If you've got your Bibles, start to open them up. We're going to be in Luke today. And as we continue to learn more about Jesus through the studying of the Gospel, we're also learning about the people through these stories that God was using, which I find that really encouraging. I like to learn about the people in the Bible. As we've been studying, I've seen... Certain characteristics, I would say, of the people that God has used. We've gone over it for several weeks now. Um, we first started right in Zechariah. we seen that he was known as a, a righteous man. We learned about his wife, Elizabeth. She was known as godly, and she was very faithful. Joseph, we studied him. We saw that he's a man with integrity, and he's very obedient to God. Mary, we studied a little bit about Mary. We saw that she was always willing to be used by God. And she knew the scriptures, didn't she? She really did know her scriptures. Simeon, he was righteous and devout. We looked at that man, Anna. She was a woman of great prayer. Then last week, the wise men. We talked about the wise men. They sought to worship Jesus at a great personal cost and a great effort. So that was, again, that was last week. And I asked a question last week. I asked each of us, are we seeking to worship Jesus? These wise men, they gave up... Many, many things, and they did whatever it took to come before Jesus, to seek him out and come before him and worship him. And then they even, they presented these physical gifts even before him. I don't know about you guys, but in my life, if I am truly seeking to worship Jesus, many things, ready for this, good and bad can come in the way of my time that I want to spend with Jesus. Not all the things that come in my way of worshiping Jesus are always necessarily bad things, But they do still come in the way at times. Um, You know, many times, again, there's a cost for us to worship Jesus, to spend with Jesus. We've got to give something up. We've got to lay something aside. That's what I was talking about last week. I think there's so many of us that have to examine our lives. And look, maybe there's something that we need to lay aside so we can make sure and seek Jesus and spend time with the Lord. This last week, I had to say no to some pretty amazing opportunities to hang out with some friends and do some really neat work. It would have been fun. I would have enjoyed it. Um, it. It was a good work they were doing and it was a good work even in the name of Jesus. But I needed first to spend some time with the Lord, to spend some time reading my Bible, to spend some time in prayer before I go out and do these great works and these great humanitarian things. So I now have spent the time with the Lord. I've spent time in prayer and in word and I'm prepared now to go out into the world And share the love of Jesus through these different humanitarian acts that many of us do here. But first, we've got to start in the Word. We've got to start in prayer. So today, that was last week's message. Today we're going to continue chronologically to go through the Gospels. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. Uh, We're going to go all the way through 52 today. So if you're there, let's begin. 39 through 40. When... Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord. They returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There, the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. As we read Luke's account of Jesus' childhood, we must remember there's a big several-year gap between verse 39, right in there, right inside of that verse. There's a two... Probably a big gap right in there. We read uh that Jesus' parents it said they fulfilled the requirements of the law. You see that right in the first in verse thirty nine. We studied that, right? In Luke chapter one, verse twenty one through twenty four, we saw the three ceremonies, the requirements of the law. Who remembers what they were? Circumcision, purification officing, and dedication of Jesus. So then after they met these requirements, we believe, I believe, uh, maybe there's some different opinions. I believe they remained in Bethlehem for one to two years. And then we see the wise men seeking Jesus and worshiping him in Matthew chapter 2. A whole chapter. That was last, last week's sermon. Remember the passages? We talked about it. I just kind of reviewed it. went through. They went, they did whatever it took to seek the king. There was a cost to the, going and worshiping. And again, I talked about last week that a lot of times they had to give something up or there was a cost for them to seek Jesus. So going back to the timeline, again, we're still on verse 39 because there's a big gap there, and I need to, kinda, we need to look at that. But the wise men had left, and then Joseph, remember, he, they left to Egypt for safety. He had this vision. It's not really mentioned in verse 39, but it happened right there. So now if we look at verse 39, how old... Do you think Jesus is at the end of verse 39? Any guesses? I would say, and I, I don't know exactly, but approximately three to four years old. So I, I hope everyone here is starting to have a better understanding of the timeline and the events that have taken place in Jesus' childhood. In the first few years of Jesus' life, there was a lot of moving around. But then they settled down in Nazareth, and he was known as Jesus the Nazarene. So in my Bible, I don't know about how you guys do it. Some people don't like to write in their Bible. Some people do. I took a little spot right here. You can see I put a little arrow there right in between that verse. And I wrote Matthew because there's a big space there in 39. So I wrote Matthew chapter 2. So I could know when I read that, there's all these different events that actually take place right there. Because I, I, I really do. I love learning about Jesus and I love learning, you know, his life and his early life and all the people that were involved in that. And I think a lot of people just kind of read through the Gospels, but they don't realize, you know, they all tie together. They all harmonize together. And when you can understand that, I think you have a lot better picture of Jesus and the people that were involved in his life. So we just spent a whole bunch of time in verse 39. Let's look at verse 40. I want to read it again. There was there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. When I read this verse, I find Luke's summary of Jesus' childhood, kind of interesting. Jesus' next eight years of his life is summed up right here. Eight years of Jesus' childhood. He says he was healthy, strong, filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. Would you think about that? Would you describe your childhood in this way? How do you describe your eight years of your childhood? Parents, there's a lot of parents here. How would you describe your children? Would you describe your children this way? Eight years of their life? I don't know. How would you? I mean, we've got one verse here. Eight years of Jesus' life. Here's where I find it interesting. What about a doctor? Right? We know Luke was a doctor. We've got kids at the doctor's office now. How about after a visit to a doctor and you go to the doctor and you ask about your child? What does they usually say? What do they, how do they describe your child typically after their physical or their checkup? Dr. Luke says Jesus grew up healthy and strong. I think we see kind of the personality of Luke here as he's describing Jesus, because he is a doctor. Um, he also, Luke also mentions that Jesus is filled with wisdom, and God's favor was upon him. I, I think, and I, you know, we don't know how this exactly works, but I believe that it was during this time in Jesus' life that his knowledge of spiritual matters matured. I'm not exactly sure, but I do believe at some point, these things had to be brought to him. It's clear that Luke tells us that he grew up at both physical and spiritual up to this point. Now, before we move on to the next verses, last week I mentioned that sometimes we have uh, misconceptions or sometimes a wrong picture of what we read in the Bible, right? I, I don't know if we're use it for you that we're here. So we know Jesus and his family went to Egypt. I want, you know, think about when Jesus lived in Egypt. What would you imagine that like? I always think of uh, Egypt and I think Old Testament. My mind always goes there. I think of the pharaohs, you know, the pyramids. I think of, uh, you know, guys with too much eyeliner. I don't know what you guys think of. Um, you know, what do you think of when you think Egypt? Because Jesus went there and spent, you know, toddler years there. What do you guys think of? I found it interesting as I studied on this to realize that I knew this, I, right? I actually knew this, but I didn't kind of recognize this, that Egypt had been conquered for centuries by the Romans at this point. And that's something that is interesting because in Egypt, they were all speaking Greek. This wasn't what my mind had placed, like from the Old Testament, right? And mummies and it was nothing like that. It was a colony of the Roman Empire. So it was different. Um, Just as in Israel, right? They were ruled by the Romans. Egypt was the same way. I never thought about this. I don't know what you thought when you think that Jesus went and they escaped to Egypt, but I kind of had a misconception in my mind what Egypt was, not realizing that it was actually been conquered for centuries by the Roman Empire. So it's a little different, different thoughts. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 41 through 42. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Uh, you yeah, we'll stop there. Passover, we know... I think most everyone here would know that it was a requirement. And it was also not just a requirement, but it was actually viewed as one of the most important festivals for this family to attend. I want to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 16. You got your Bibles? We're going to look at two verses. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Let's look at uh, verse 5 to start. You may not sacrifice the Passover in just any of the towns that your Lord has given you. Uh, verse 6, too, just to have it there. You must offer it only at the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses his name to be honored. Also, look at verse 16. Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate the three festivals the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelter. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses. But they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for him. So Jesus' family, we through, see through these passage, was very faithful to obey the commands here. And we see in these verses, they attended each year. This year, though, we see Jesus was 12 years old. Giving us kind of a, again, giving us this timeline. Allowing us to see into Jesus' life. I thought about, you know, I don't know about, when I read this, I, I try to think about things like this. I remember my son at 12 years old. I see a lot of people here, you, you uh, either have children that are 12, or maybe some of you were just recently 12, or maybe you're looking forward to turning 12, I'm not sure. But I do remember my son, who was 12, and this age is very interesting, I don't know, you know, at 12 years old, it's the age that a child really starts to transform into a teenager or a young adult, right? I remember my son, at this time, he wanted to be a part of adult conversations, and he really sought to have some independence as a young man at 12 years old. I mention this because I think most of us have obviously all been 12, but also have raised children that were that age. It's an interesting age as they kind of go, you know, between childhood and a young adult. And, they, you know, it's kind of an awkward stage. <laughs> you know, they want to be a part of this, but they're still kind of tied to this. And that's how old Jesus was in this. So I think we can look at that and kind of wonder about that. Because I imagine... Jesus, at 12 years old, also, he wanted to be heard. He wanted to be involved in deeper conversations, as most 12-year-olds do. They want to be part of that bigger conversation. And Jesus, he had so much, this knowledge, through the Holy Spirit, that I'm sure he wanted to share. So I just I found that um, interesting for me, I don't know, after raising a few children through that age. Let's look at verses 43 through 44. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him along, among their relatives and friends. After a long week, everyone starts to head home. This is a week-long festival. Now maybe if you, some of you are thinking, especially maybe some of the kids, I don't know, you're sitting there judging Mary and Joseph. How could you lose a kid? I don't know, maybe some of you thought that, maybe you didn't. How could you lose your kid? Or some of you maybe are recalling the times that you lost your kid. Maybe some of the kids are looking at their parents saying, you remember when you lost me? I don't know what your thoughts are. I see some laughing because I think some of you kids have been lost. I think some of your parents have lost a few kids. And, uh, you know, so we don't want to judge Joseph and Mary too harshly, right? I mean, have, have any of you guys ever left your kid in the car? Will anyone actually admit that? I see some heads nodding, mostly from the kids. Maybe you just forgot they were there, or maybe maybe you thought maybe you left like church and they went with another family member. Yeah, there's a lot of waving. Yeah. Some of the younger people are thinking, how could you ever do such a thing? Some of the older people, the parents, are just being looked at by their kids right now in guilt. The panic, I'll tell you, the panic that sets in When you do realize you forgot one of your children is one of the worst things I've ever experienced. Um, So here's our story. And I actually, uh, we have forgot our kids before in several different occasions, Uh, mainly in the car seats. Uh, You unpack all the groceries, start unpacking the groceries, like, where's the kid? Uh Uh-oh, kid's still in the car seat in the car. I got all the milk out, though, so the milk didn't go bad. But actually, one time, it was Genevieve, little Genevieve. She went missing when she was about two or three years old. We looked... We looked everywhere. We just couldn't find her. We're like, where's Genevieve? I mean, she's like two or three. We just I couldn't find her. We were so worried that maybe she, we lived kind of in an area with a lot of woods around and forest around. So we were so worried maybe she wandered out and wandered into the woods. We had no idea where she was or where she went. So we didn't actually forget her, but we had definitely did not know where she was at. And at two or three years old. So we all came together as a family and we we're just looking everywhere, and finally, we're about ready to call the police and call like somebody because we didn't know what to do. We couldn't find her; she's gone. And we just like—I, I don't remember if we prayed. I don't really remember, but it was very a uh, tense situation. But we decided to look one more time through the whole house, you know, because kids they do hide sometimes, and they think it's a cute game. Yeah, it's not so funny when they do that. But finally, we found her. You know where she was? She was curled up in a ball, sleeping. Behind the bathroom door. So, there, like, you open the door, you, like, you look in and you look through the bathtub, you look through everything there, you even look in the cabinet. She was behind the door, sleeping. So, I definitely understand the panic that sets in when you've misplaced a child. It's unlike anything you want to experience. So, you could imagine what's taking place here with Mary and Joseph as they're looking for Jesus. Let's read 45 through 47. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Where is Jesus? That was a question that was being asked. That's the title of the message. They'd come to the point of walking all the way back to Jerusalem could you imagine that discussion between Mary and Joseph talking among each other? These were not perfect people. I know they were, I can imagine the conversation. I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. And I'm sure that um, Mary was beside herself. Um, I could imagine that conversation. So the passage states they found him three days later. And I think We don't know exactly how this took place, but I think also we have a misconception because we think like three days he was lost there, which he was, but I don't think it's in the way that maybe we would think so. I think it's much like how Jesus was resurrected three days later. I think it's a very similar situation when we think of the three days. So in the afternoon, Jesus was missing. That was the first day, right? That's day one. The next morning, Mary and Joseph set set out for Jerusalem. That'd be the second day. The third day in the morning, they found Jesus in the temple. That's three days. So I see it very much similar to the same way that Jesus was resurrected in three days. I think it's actually an interesting parallel. What was Jesus doing when he was found? He was sitting among teachers, having a conversation with him. They were all amazed. This, again, looks kind of like the Sunday that Jesus first appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. I see a picture. I don't know. Maybe some of you do, some of you don't. I do see a little bit of a picture there. So let's see. What was his parents' response going to be now? Now they found Jesus after three days. Look at verse 48. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Jesus is questioned. Mary and Joseph are both confused. Why did you put us through this? Why have you done this? I can imagine this conversation. I don't know about you guys. I imagine this conversation first. Huge praise, huge hugs, huge embraces. Oh, we've been looking for you forever. But what happens next? Oh, yeah, here it comes, right? Here it comes. What happened next? Parents, what has your past reaction been when something, your child has done something and you find out first they're okay. Once you, once you know they're okay, then the words start coming. <laughs> what were you thinking? What have you done? Um, you know, I imagine Mary's voice changing from so relieved, so loving, to extremely upset. Once they had found Jesus. I imagine this taking place, you imagine this took place right in the temple. I'm sure this did. Everyone's watching. So let's see what, how Jesus is going to respond in verse 49 through 50. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Jesus responds to this question. And his answer, he acknowledges in his answer for the first time in Scripture that we see that he is God's son. If you look there, Jesus' statement also shows in this passage that He knew his purpose was to serve the Father. So Jesus tells Mary, You should have known. you imagine that? You should have known that he must walk in his purpose from the Father. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? They didn't understand. The scripture says that, and obviously Mary and Joseph did not understand. But I'm sure one thing. Mary later would remember this conversation as Jesus was on the cross. I'm sure of that. You know, many of us serve God in many different ways. Um, I don't know about you guys. Um, Many times as we serve God, as we're about what we would consider God's business that he's called us to do, many of our families and many of our friends would even come and ask us, you know, why are we doing this? Why aren't we just, you know, back in the States? Or why aren't we living a normal life? Or, you know, why can't you just serve God back at home with the rest of your family? I think that it's just a lesson here that we all have to be obedient just as Jesus to the Father's will. And many don't understand that, as they look at our lives, like, what are you doing there? Why, why are you there? But I think in time, everyone will understand that. Let's look at the last verses here for the day in 51 through 52. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and statue, stature sorry, and the f- favor with God and all the people. So in these verses we learn about Jesus' life as a teenager or a young adult. Eighteen years now goes by basically. Jesus was prepared; he was being prepared to fulfill God's calling on his life. Eighteen years. So we're going to close this sermon, but we're going to have a lesson on communion. So as you, so maybe you're wondering, oh that message was kind of short. Well, we're going to talk about communion. So I purposely kind of done that, did that. So today we will take communion. Uh, if we could start actually passing that out now, it'd be great. We're gonna go grab the kids, and I want to. The worship team can head up. But the title of the message was "Where Is Jesus?" I think that for so many of us, we gotta ask, "Where are we seeking Jesus?" I mean, it sounds like a simple question, but I think many of us don't always seek Jesus or seek that relationship in the correct places. Because I think some people do seek Jesus in the wrong ways. I want you to take a minute here, and we're gonna look at a lot of verses as everyone gets ready here, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. It says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asked receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. As we seek Jesus, prayer, the study of God's word, and fellowship with other believers is how we should be seeking to know Jesus more intimately and know the will for Jesus, for us, for each of our lives. Again, we're going to look at a lot of passages here. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. If you read this verse, it shows us very clearly how we are to seek Jesus. We begin studying the apostles' teachings. That's what we did today. Next, you see in the verse that we continue by taking time to pray and then fellowship and the Lord's Supper. So as we talk about the Lord's Supper, it's called sometimes, or communion, I want to take time to look at a few verses of what that truly means. And First starting, why do we take communion? Why do we participate in this breaking of the bread, taking of the juice? Why do we do that? I want to turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We take communion... In obedience and as a way to worship and praise God. Who should take communion? That's a big question, right? I just called all the kids down from Sunday school. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know where you lie on some of this. So who should take communion? Let's, let's address that. Um, who should take it? All who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's who should take communion. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it, For Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So when should a person not take communion? Let's continue reading right there in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. For anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthy is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. So communion first is for the believer. It is not for the unbeliever. But also, we must examine ourselves and make sure that inside of our lives, that there is no unrepented sin in our lives. And if, if there is, you can take that before the Lord and you can just repent. Bring it to the Lord. Confess your sins to... He he forgives. But we should do that before we take communion. I also want to look at another verse. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So we also must have a right relationship with others, with our fellow brothers and sisters, with our families, with the people around us, not just God, but also the people around us in our relationships before taking communion. So if there's anyone now that has unrepentant sin or has something against your fellow brother or sister in Christ, I ask you to either repent, turn, confess that to the Lord, get right with that person, or abstain from taking communion until you can um, deal with that and make that situation right. I truly see taking communion or the Lord's Supper as a form of worship. I see first that we praise Jesus for what he did for each one of us, paying the price of our sins. Then also, I believe, we praise Jesus for the resurrection and what he's doing today and for the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit that we have today. Then we also, in communion... We praise God for the promise of eternal life. But also, the final part was that, this is a time that we set aside to examine our walk with Christ. To really pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal anything to our, in our lives that's not pleasing to Him. And then we can take care of that before God. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask that each of us, Laura's going to play on the piano, and we're going to just take a few minutes to prayer, just silently. And I pray that each of us would pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal if there's anything in our life that needs to be dealt with. And that we would, I just pray that we deal with it right here and right now. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to go on. You can just deal with it. I mean, if you need to go out and make a phone call, make a phone call. I, if you're, it's with your family, deal with it. And let's take communion together and let's fellowship with the Lord. But, you know, let's take care of it right now. And then after we uh, do that, at the time of just a silent prayer between you and the God, um, Pastor Kevin's going to come up. He's going to bless the communion. uh, I'm not sure if he's going to do it together or separately. It's as he wishes. Um, Different people like to do it different ways, um, as he wishes. And then we'll uh, take communion together as a fellowship. So again, I just uh, thank you. Uh, Again, I just pray that each of us, if we have anything in our lives, we would take care of it. And again, as far as children, I did invite them in. I believe that if a child has committed themselves to faith in Jesus Christ, they should take communion. Um, I do leave that up to the parents' discretion. I think each family can uh, work through that. Um, assuming the head of the household, they know their family, they know their children. Uh, and they can uh, even, the thing I've done before is sometimes during this time of prayer, uh, maybe the families can just come together and pray with each other. I don't know. It's, it is really, truly worship. And I didn't get to go over a lot of this last time we took communion, but I wanted to be clear. Also, I had a call this week, and uh, I really appreciated the call. Asked me, um, What if I have some dietary restrictions? And I said, you know, whatever bread you want to use, if it has gluten or no gluten or whatever that looks like, um, praise the Lord. Um, Also, if some people say, well, I like wine or I like juice, I'm going to say, you know, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, We serve juice here. Um, That's kind of what we do here. But some people um, like wine. Um, That's okay with me, uh, if that's your request. Um, I don't normally provide that, but we can. Because I really uh, think that's between you and the Lord. And, and same with the cracker. It doesn't have to be a certain type of cracker, it doesn't have to be a certain kind of juice. It's really about coming before God, praising Him for the past, the present, the future, and just repenting and examining your life of anything that would be unpleasing to Him. We need to do that, and it is worship and it's praise. So please pray amongst yourselves, and then uh, Pastor Kevin will come up and bless this.
1: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that you give us. We thank you for the fact that you always give us an opportunity just to reflect and to be honest and to confess. And in these times, Lord, we pray that, Lord, that you'd bring us a a glimpse of your grace and your great love for us as we just consider the great sacrifice that you made for each one of us. And Lord, as we consider our own relationships with each other and with others, Lord, we ask God that nothing would hold us back from having just a a growth in those relationships, a greater love in those relationships. Nothing would hold us back from extending grace and forgiveness and all the things that you have extended to us. And so, as we just consider the elements of communion, we pray God that you would give us that cleansed heart, Lord, that you would help us to walk in the realization of it, since we know that you already have cleansed our hearts as we put our faith in you, but that we would walk in that truth and we'd hold on to it by faith. and Lord, as we just seek to partake in the elements, Lord, we want to remember the scripture as Paul uh, reminds us in First Corinthians chapter eleven Lord he reminds us of what you did for us and really the, the, the example that you gave the disciples and that you said to take the bread and to, to break it because it was broken for us and to do that in remembrance of you. And so we want to do that tonight as well. Together, Lord, we want to take the bread and we want to partake of it, just remembering your body. And Lord, just as we're reminded by Paul, in the same manner that you took the cup and you said it is the new covenant in my blood and you also said to do this in remembrance of you so lord we want to do that tonight as well just remembering that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood and you became that once and for all sacrifice for each one of us and we thank you lord and lord we also want to do this often so Lord, we pray that you would put it on our hearts just to remember you and the sacrifice that you made. And when you prompt us, Lord, that we would be able to do this with our families, even at homes, uh, in our homes and at home. And, and Lord, that as we do that, we would make that proclamation, Lord, proclaiming the Lord's death until you return. And so Lord, we pray that you would help do that work in us, that you'd help us to do that.